0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's truly a delight to be with you all this morning, this Lord's Day morning. Um, We continue in our systematic study of the book of Acts. Um, We've arrived at chapter 15, um, and I will read the the first uh, 12 verses of the chapter. So if you will turn there, I will begin reading our focal text for this morning. Carry your hearts, this is God's word to you. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles And were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up, saying, "It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses." apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the necks of the disciples a yoke? Which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord God, um, what a great privilege it is to be gathered together with fellow saints under the authority of your word, inerrant perfect, infallible scripture. And we pray, Lord, that, uh, that you will open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, that we may be recipients of what you have for us this Lord's Day morning. Glorify yourself, I pray, in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We arrived at our systematic study of the Book of Acts, which begins with a transition from the end of chapter 14. Now, the New American Standard Bible, which is the Bible I have here and read from, um, does not make it as clear as some other translations, such as the ESV, the KJV, because the ESV begins with, but, and the KJV says, and certain men. NASV says just simply, some men. So for context purposes, I will read um, chapter 14, starting at verse 24 through the end of the chapter. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had had accomplished. When they had arrived, and gathered the church together and began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. And then chapter 15 begins with these certain men. Now, who are these men? Here's what they taught. Unless... You are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. You cannot be saved. Jesus, did you, did you uh, notice that word in there? Not that you won't be saved. You cannot be saved. They did that on purpose. Does that sound familiar? John chapter 3. Verse 3, Jesus saying to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you see the difference between what these men taught and what Jesus taught? Jesus taught salvation by grace through faith alone. These men, who were Judaizers, taught that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. Folks, this is works-based salvation. The Bible never explicitly says that they are Pharisees, Sadducees, or any other group who were admittedly against the Christian faith. Paul provided commentary on who these men were, and if you want, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. If you've got one of these ribbons in your copy of your scripture, you can put the second half of that ribbon in Galatians chapter 2, as I will be referencing from it often. Galatians chapter 2, I'll be reading the first five verses. Then, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of Revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation." for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. These men were, were legalistic Judaizers who pretended to be Christians. Now, some believe that they've been There may have been Jerusalem Jews who had been commissioned by the apostles. They were teaching that unless people were circumcised, they cannot be saved. For those who aren't familiar with the idea of circumcision, it was the distinguishing mark of the Jew and was the final step of conversion for the Jewish male. Going back to Genesis, in chapter 17, starting in verse 9, God said to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you must be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Now these Judaizers would have said that they were descendants of Abraham in a spiritual sense. Spiritual. Now in verse 14 of that same chapter, God warned him, but an uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, he has broken my covenant. Was this circumcision a moral law? No, but it was a positive law. This would be considered a ceremonial or ritual law. In other words, it's under the covenant of works, which we've been referencing um, of the past few Wednesday nights. If you remember the threefold, covenant, uh, threefold law of covenant theology, now, as we are under the new covenant established by Christ, we no longer have to worry about keeping the ceremonial law nor the civic law. Not the covenant of works, but the moral law. God's eternal moral law as summed up in the Ten Commandments. Now in him, we as believers are under the covenant of grace, while the unbelievers are still under the covenant of his works, that they cannot keep. Now I'm going back to our focal text. If you're a note-taker, this will be the first point. Dissension over falsehood. Dissension over over falsehood. These Judaizers, who still held dearly onto the ceremonial law, were trying to make circumcision sound mythic. That was not its intention. There was nothing moral about it. It was simply obedience to this law God set forth at this time. And if you remember... Where is this taking place? Antioch. Not the Antioch is in the place here in town that recently posted on their Instagram that Jesus is desperate to be gazed upon. But Antioch as in the place where the salvation of the Gentiles was primarily reached. So what's going on here? The Judaizers were saying to these Gentile believers that they had to be circumcised in accordance with Jewish law. Now, we have to remember also that the text doesn't indicate that these particular men who came down from Judea were Pharisees. Paul referred to them as false brethren in Galatians chapter 2. What they were trying to do was convince the Gentiles that they must first become Jewish and submit themselves to the law of Moses before they could even become Christians. Jesus himself gave the following warning. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible... For the next few days, the elect. I'm inclined to think that these people were professing, if you're listening, not watching. I'm using air quotes. Professing Christians, but we're really not. Just because someone professes the Christian faith doesn't mean they possess it. This is why we as Reformed Baptists believe that theology matters. This is why we affirm a confession, because theology matters. Not that it is anywhere equal to Scripture, but it's a very useful tool as a way to navigate through Christian doctrine with every single sentence it is backed up With scripture references if theology didn't matter then there would be no reason for Jesus to do the work that he came to do on our behalf we'd all be living in our own truths no matter how badly they contradicted one another now how did Paul and Barnabas respond to the falsehood of these Judaizers the text indicates that they had great dissension and debate with them. Further commentary. Galatians 2.5. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Who was Paul primarily in writing to hear in Galatians? Was it Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. These Judaizers were teaching that Gentiles could not be saved until they become Jews. So, right off the bat, Paul rejected this notion and the idea that the works of man, in this case circumcision, was a prerequisite of salvation in Jesus Christ. We've said time and time again at this local church that we are indeed saved by works just not our own. It is the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ and his resurrection that the gospel message springs forth. When this dissension and debate happened, it was determined that Paul and Barnabas, as well as others, should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Unless you have the NASB, it's not quite clear who appointed them to go, as it does not say. Although the verse following does tell us. This is because the original Greek does not indicate this. So it helps to use context clues. So it wouldn't make sense if it were the Judaizers who appointed them to go, because they would have led them astray. The only others who could have commissioned them, because they were present, were the brethren. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Now, I know you all know this, but... In these days, you couldn't get from place to place within a few short hours or even a few short minutes. This likely took several days, but everywhere they went on their way to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas, well, on their way to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas shared all that God had done through their proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. Melanchthon and Jacobus made two important comments as to what brought these brethren such joy the first one being the conversion of other souls is always the source of great joy to the true people of god and number two only the grace of god can make such brethren and friends all the Barnabas recognized these Gentiles' true, genuine faith in Christ. And when they had arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church, and the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. The Gentiles received the gospel, churches were planted, and God had accomplished a marvelous work Through these men as his mouthpieces. And he does the same with faithful pastors today. People receive the gospel through the preached word, biblical churches are planted, and the pattern continues from there. But then, as Paul and Barnabas were giving their report, some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now we have to be careful on how we view these particular Pharisees, because the text indicates that they had believed, meaning they professed Christ. They also weren't questioning the authority of Paul or of Barnabas nor were they questioning the genuineness of the Gentile salvation. Perhaps these particular Pharisees had adopted the same belief system as the Judaizers did earlier, earlier in the chapter. They believed that in order for Gentiles to become Christians, they must become Jews first, which means that they must be circumcised going to the law of Moses, as we discussed earlier in the sermon. And similar to what we read earlier, um, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. Now, how often have we been reactionary dealing with difficult theological discussions instead of bringing it before the church? I'm um, going take it a step further. How often have we resorted to attacking the opponent personally, even if they are completely wrong in their theology, instead of bringing the issue before fellow brothers and sisters in the church? Let this be a lesson for all of us, me included. Let us come together as a church body and address these matters biblically. We don't need to be mainstreamed about it, but we do need to tell the truth and declare it. If the truth is what they're offended by, so be it. Now we reach the second point, which is defending the truth in the midst of falsehood. Defending the truth in the midst of falsehood. Starting at verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did with us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. God knows who are his. And he will appoint someone as his mouthpiece to share the gospel for those who are his to repent and believe. Someone did that with you. Someone did that with me. And this, that's true if you're a believer in this room. If you're not in Christ, of course, I'd be happy to meet with you afterwards, and we can help, and we can talk. Um but for the false convert, someone who professes Christ but doesn't possess him, the Lord knows who are his. Which means you might fool me or us, but you will not fool God. And when you believe the gospel, is it because of a work you did beforehand? Right Not in circumcision, as it was in this instance, but it was keeping certain traditions as it is. But was it keeping certain traditions as it is in Roman Catholicism? Or was it baptism as it is in certain places that believe in baptismal regeneration? Or was it became because you came forward at an altar? By the way, of course, altar calls aren't done here. You're not saved by all those things. You're saved by grace through faith alone. This is the very doctrine Peter's defending right here. He explained that God saved Gentiles without a requirement of circumcision. Nor did God require a keeping of a certain ritual law. As we've seen with Cornelius earlier in the chapter. Then Peter presses him further. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor have we been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Remember these words from Jesus. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, or could be translated, load, is light. Works or merit based salvation is tiring. Uh, That load's heavy, we're unable to bear it. But thankfully, there is someone who took that heavy load off of your neck and placed it onto His own, and He gives you His own yoke and His light load, and your soul can find rest in that. There is no better pillow for your soul than resting upon your salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. This is what He did with the Gentiles, and this is what He does with each and every one of you who are in Him. Finally, the last point. The truth closes mouths. The truth closes mouths. Verse 12. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This serves as God's stamp of approval, friends. No circumcision required. Besides that, no keeping of traditions required. You aren't saved in the waters of baptism. You are—you are saved by grace. If you are in Christ, you're under the in, under the new covenant of grace, which the head is perfect in and infallible. If you're not. You're, under, you're still under the covenant of works and, friend, you are bearing an awful load that you were not meant to bear. You may not admit it up front to everyone, but you know it's true, and so does God. One day, we'll all stand before God. We either come humbly or we will be humble. Now the question is, which is it? those who may have the biggest and most arrogant of mouths will be silenced before God. He will close their mouths. But sometimes, He doesn't close their mouths right away. I know some of you are starting school here soon. And some of you have already started. I know some of you who have or are going to have teachers who who will try to sway you into the narrative of the culture. And a lot of times, it's subtle, but not always. Now, this is particularly true if you attend a public or non-sectarian school. Now, bear in mind, I came from a public school, went from K-12, through and graduated college from a public school. So, I guess there's that. You will be taught evolution, the of the sexual revolution, and critical race theory. What they're going to try to do is they're going to try to buy you in. Buy you in. It's already happening everywhere. They will use every tool in the book to... Manipulate you, whether it's by threats, having peers gang up on you, or any other method they might come up with. I have faced all of those. So my my urgent my urgent message for you is this: if this is if this applies to you, you need to be ready. But remember, although it is hard, you must respect the teacher's authority. You don't run the class. I've had to teach myself that sometimes. I don't run it either. But when they're pushing falsehood, share the truth with them, and let it be the truth that shuts their mouths. Not you. Even if they don't shut it now, even if they if they die in their sins, or if any non-believer dies in their sins, God will close their mouths reluctantly, and they will go to hell. So will the rest of those who are not in Christ. Now, do the things that God hates and are an abomination to Him. You can. Refer, you can. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6, if you'd like. It's in verses 16 to 19. The two of those things, for a lying tongue and a witness, who, and a false witness who utters lies, those mouths God will close, whether it's the saving power of the gospel or through his holy wrath. So this is my plea to you. Run to Christ. Take his yoke upon you. May your soul find rest in him. And I will close with this. Peter, who boldly declared the truth of the gospel to these Judaizers, says to you first Peter chapter three, verses fifteen and sixteen, Sanctify the Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Friends, Read God's word and boldly, boldly declare the truth that He saved souls and He is still saving souls to this day. Let's close with a word of prayer. Oh God, your yoke is light. Your burden is light. You took our heavy yoke, the yoke of works. You placed it upon your neck, took it off of ours, gave us yours. And you became our substitute for us. You kept the law on our behalf now you're seated in glory at the right hand of the father and one day you will be coming back again that day soon and more I pray that we will all be made right with you that those who have to defend your faith defend it with boldness that you will give them the words to speak To declare your truth. And you will do the work of regenerating hearts. Lord, um, thank you for this Lord's Day morning that we could gather together. We do not take our freedoms for granted. We ask and we pray that you will lead us and guide us in the way of everlasting. And all God's people said. Amen.